We are Crossroads Grace Church. Our purpose is to lead people to discover Jesus and follow Him fully. This week's message is taught by our teaching pastor, Brian Hunt. From wherever you're listening, we hope that you are challenged and encouraged by this week's message. Hey, good morning, Crossroads. Good to see everybody. Good to see you guys. Good to see you. Hey, my name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here. Grateful that you be with us today. If you're here with your family for the first time, welcome. Uh, and you should just know that our, our mission here is to lead people to discover Jesus and follow him fully. And our hope is that we can help you do that any way possible. We have uh, prayer stations at the front or in the back during service or at the end of service. If you need anything, we'd love to be able to connect with you that way. Uh, but again, our mission is very straightforward. We want you to be able to know who Jesus is and then follow him. But today, I'm going to give you a heads up. I want you to get into your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is where we're going to be at in just a second. 1 Corinthians 7. So you can open up your Bible or the Crossroads Grace app that we told you about. Brand new. It's really free. And we'd love for you to take a look at that and take a look at uh, all the resources that are on there. But all the scriptures are already there for you. And you can download it there. And if you're joining us online in the middle of the week, we just want to say hello to you. And glad that you can, can connect with us today uh, online. Uh, but today, we're starting a brand new series that is called... Stronger, And it's a series looking at how we can be strong in life as, as being single. Uh, but before I, I jump into this kind of this, this series, I think it's important that I just kind of let the cat out of the bag. There is some bad news I need to let you know about. And it has really rocked the single community in some really amazing, amazing ways. And just to let you know, just right out of the chute, uh, Tim Tebow is married now, everybody, okay? So... Uh, Single people, everybody, and he, he married just, she's really bad. I mean, she's a, she's like, what, a Miss Universe or something? So, I mean, and he's horrendous looking. So, I mean, we're just really glad that Tim is, um, but, but, but Tim Tebow is like one of those ones that every single woman everywhere, when they heard about it, was like, no, he can't be married. I thought I was the one. And every, and every single male was like, yes, the chump is off the market. You know, now I have a chance at ladies everywhere. But, but Tim, uh, he's an interesting guy because he is, his singleness fascinated the world because he seemed to be this unicorn in amongst horses everywhere. He, he's just an amazing guy. I mean, he's, he's good looking, whatever, right? He's, he's a good looking dude. He's a two-sport professional athlete, Heisman Trophy winner. He's a sports commentator. He's wealthy. Uh, he's actually one of the, he's the founder of the Tim Tebow Foundation, which put on the Night to Shine event, which we had just here on Friday, and um, stay tuned at the end of service, you're not going to want to miss the video we have for that, so, so please make sure you're there for that. But more importantly than anything else, he has a heart for Jesus bigger than anything you've ever seen, just loves Jesus. And what sits on top of his, his life and his commitment to honor God is really his singleness, I mean, he was the poster child for, for staying pure before marriage and honoring God in his relationships, and it's just crazy. But now that Tim is, 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 is done, and he's like out of the single market, people are like, well, now who do I look to? Because at first you were like, well, gosh, if Tim can do it, then maybe I can do it too. Because being single is hard. It's hard in this world. And you have to look at somebody to be able to understand what to do when you're in that situation and when you're in that season of life. And, but you might not know this, but do you know who else was single? Jesus. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus was single. I know, amazing, mind-belting moment, but he was single. And we forget that part of Jesus, which is part of the reason I think that we sometimes forget this group of people also. And at Crossroads, we've been guilty of that. We have all kinds of series that we talk about relationships and marriages, and we inadvertently forget about this large group of people in our church and in our community there that are single. But as you look at the research, you'll find that they're not alone in this world. 2017, the, US, uh, the United States did the, the census, and they found 110.6 million Americans are single that are above the ages of 18, which is about 45.2% of our population. And that number is actually growing. There's more and more people that are, are becoming single. Now, and here's a reason. There's a couple of reasons why this happens, or a few reasons, I should say. People are choosing to get married later and later in life, if, if at all. Uh, divorce continues to splinter families all over, the t- all over the place. There's death that happens that causes people to be single. People haven't found Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, so they're holding out until they find the right person. And then there's just some people that just say, hey, I think I'm just going to be single. That's just kind of what I want to do. But regardless of whether you're married here today, or you're engaged, or you're in a relationship, or you're single for whatever reason, it's really important that we get this conversation regarding singleness correct. Because the reactions that single people get from other people when they find out that they're single is honestly comical. I've had some people that kind of told me that we're single. They said, usually we get one of two reactions. One, if somebody finds out that we're single, usually we get the, the sympathetic sigh. You know, the like, oh, you know, like, oh, you know. Or if the person goes varsity, they get the head tilt and the sigh. You know what I'm saying? Like the, oh, like, like a dog that heard a whistle. You know, like, oh, as if being single is a disorder that you're sorry that they got, you know? Listen, single's not a disorder. It's actually a good thing. In the Bible, singleness is applauded, not avoided, which is why we need to devote these next three weeks to looking at what it's like to be single in our world. And we want to spend time looking at how you can be single and strong at the very same time. There is no weakness in being single, but an amazing opportunity and blessing that comes with that. However, for those that do desire to be in a relationship, it's, it's a changing world that we live in. A very changing world. And the ability to, to follow God and what he wants to do is becoming harder and harder in our life. Which is why it's important that we look at how God tells us to, to be single and then what it looks like to get into a relationship. But then how you honor Jesus through everything and strengthen that relationship through that whole process. And a series like this might actually kind of make a few questions pop up in your brain. And some of which might be from our non-singles and our marrieds and our dating people that might say, well, listen, Pastor B, man, aren't you concerned people are going to check out for the next three weeks in the series? And, and, and maybe some of you are thinking, man, I could like sneak out the back. Ain't nobody going to know because this ain't for me right now. And, and I would just say, let's be practical for a hot minute just for a second. The reality is, is that singles sit through sermon after sermon after sermon about marriage and and we continue to say, hey, keep coming, you're going to get something out of it, we want you to grow from it. So I just think that the same medicine we ask them to take is effective for us all to be able to relationship or not. In fact, in my conversations with some single friends, you, you know what they told me over and over? They said that married people in their relationships are what they need the most to see. 
And they talk so often about how when, when, when their single friends get married and then they get, have kids and whatnot, all of a sudden they become the black plague. They no longer get invited to stuff and everything. And it's like, well, hang on, like five seconds ago, we were buddies and now you say I do and we can't hang out? Like, what's going on? So, so, so the singles are saying, listen, we need to see your relationship up front and, and we want to be a part of your lives so we understand what's happening. So this is not a series to check out on. It's a series to lean into, big time, big time for all of us, which also then begs another question, though, as you think about the series, and it would be, what does a married guy like me know anything about being single? And that's a great question. I've been out of the single scene for about 20 years now, so I'm a little rusty, you know, when it comes to being single, which is exactly why I put together a group of 12 singles in our church to let me know what it's really like to be single right now. And I had a great conversation with them. It helped me so much in this series. And because we have a diverse church, it, it was a, I was able to get a diverse um, a group of people there, some that have been single their whole life, some that were single because of divorce or because their spouse died, some that were single and they had kids. And so we had just a full uh, opportunity to hear about this subject in different ways. And I learned a ton and I can't thank them enough for their hearts and about telling me about their struggles and about their victories and how strong they feel, which is why I felt that this series needed to be named Stronger, because that's what I saw over and over was strength in their life. And so our desire is to see how we can, what, what strength can come from being single in our world in really three distinct areas. And those three distinct areas are identity, purity, and security. What does it look like to be a strong single with identity, purity, and security? And so I want us all to be able to grow stronger together as we do that. So let's dive into get today together. And, and I want to start actually with the word strong. And strong is a really important word because it's an adjective. And the, the definition of it is able to withstand great force or pressure. I, I love that because that truly is the greatest definition of being single in our world today. Because there is no doubt that if you are single, you will, have to, you will have to withstand great force and great pressure, especially as a Christian. The world around us will tell us that we aren't complete unless we have someone with us. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you get married. 51% of men, 48% of, of women will get married at some point in their life. But so often, our culture tells us, and even sometimes the church tells us, that we're not strong if we're single. That we need to be in a relationship. We have to be married. And they might even point to some scriptures when they're doing that. Genesis chapter 2, we read that God says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. The wisest man that ever lived, King Solomon, said this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can, can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. So in just those quick readings, you would think that God's kind of saying, well, hey, listen, you, you're going to need to be in a relationship in order to be godly. You need someone in your life so that you're doing life together, and that way you can be strong. And, and while there is truth that God says we need to live this life together, last week we talked a whole bunch about that, that we need people to live with and to be together with, that doesn't necessarily mean that has to be a romantic relationship. Doesn't mean that that has to be a married relationship. 
because there is strength in being single and also being in relationship and community with other people. Because again, the world will tell us that you shouldn't be alone, but God says something different. But if you start to buy into that, that cultural narrative, all of a sudden these questions are going to start popping up in your mind. And you start thinking, well, gosh, what, who am I if I'm not in a relationship? What if I do if I never get married? Or if I'm not married anymore? Like, what then? And, and if all the world tells us is that we're, if we're not with someone, then we're not something. If the world tells us that, it starts to play with our head. And we start to ask all kinds of things. And if we buy into that line of thinking, it's easy to see why Christians and non-Christians have so many pressures that are on them. And let's just take one of those pressures in particular today. I looked at a Barna Research Group study that looked at 1,100 people, and they asked them questions surrounding the idea of cohabitation. So let me clear the air a little bit and explain what that is. Cohabitation is when two people are in a relationship together, and they decide to live together before they're married. And so this isn't about judging anything. This is more about just looking at the data that came out of the study, just to find it interesting. And so of the 1,100 people that were surveyed, we found that 41% of practicing Christians said that it's okay to cohabitate before marriage. And 88% of people that had no faith said it was okay. Now, this slide here actually tells you how it broke down. And the breakdown is interesting, that 9% of the people that said it was okay said it was because of it was convenient and practical, just made sense, which a little bit dovetails into the 5% that say, oh, it's just cheaper you know, we just have rent together so much easier, which I always am just wondering. So what you're telling me by that rationale is that if you weren't living together, you'd be homeless. Like, is that the only way that this whole thing could work? And I just don't think that's true. So let's just call it for what it is. Two uh, percent is other. I'm not even sure what's in there. But the largest one was 84 percent of people said that you do it because you want to test compatibility. It, meaning that you would never buy a car unless you test drove it. So why would you not live together to test drive this relationship before you got married? It's about testing compatibility. Which, which all of this kind of really sums up where it, it's like you're saying, well, Pastor B, it, listen, it's just the norm, man. Like you got to get with the times a little bit here. This just is how people do it. I mean, what is really the harm in this happening What's the harm in me living together with my boyfriend before we get married? What's the harm if I just have a roommate that's of the opposite sex? Really, what's the big deal? And guys, I'll just say, come on. Like, like come on. I mean, you mean to tell me that you're in this, like, you're just living together, nothing's really happening, you're just kind of testing the waters? Guys, that's like, let's say going to an all-you-can-eat buffet and looking at the food. You know, they, right? That doesn't, you know, when you go to a buffet, you want to eat your face off when you get there. Like, you are there to eat, okay? So call it for what it is. Like, don't, 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 don't play games. We, we know what you're doing. But at the very least, at the very least, if you still feel, oh, it's completely platonic, all this stuff, at the very least, you're putting yourself in a really compromising situation. But this is just one of the pressures that are, that are faced with our singles today, and, and and listen, next week we're going to talk more about this idea of purity. You are not going to want to miss that. But, but for today, I want you to hear God just say something. God is saying, be patient. Do the right thing. Make sure that you know who you are in me, in God first. And what some people might argue, though, is that they kind of look at what's happening in, the, in our world today. They might look at it and say, listen, here's the deal. 
getting into relationship, all that commingling, all that stuff. It's really the synergy of independence and relationships together. It shows the strength. It, it, see, it shows you that you can be single in a relationship on the terms that make you happy. And we tell God, you know what, God, your way is not the only way. I got another way. In fact, the way that I think it, it makes me happy right away. And so I'll tell you what, I know who I am, so I'm going to just do it my way. And when that happens, guys, I'm just telling you, we are playing into Satan's playground. Because if he can get us doubting who we are and make us think that our definition of who we are is found in someone or something, he's accomplished his goal of distracting us from the truth. Because the reality shows us that by living this way outside of God's will, it's not an increase in independence. It's a decrease in identity. We just don't know who we are, and that's the opposite of strength. When you don't know who you are, what you're forced to do is you're, you're forced to culturally adapt to whatever's happening so you don't feel alone and so you don't stick out, that you just are like everybody else. We replace the truth of God with a lie to make ourselves feel better. That's just what we do. But as we look closer at the Bible, we start to see something that's very staggering about what God really says about being single. And the greatest example of that, I believe, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, 1 Corinthians is a letter that was written by a guy by the name of Paul. And Paul was a single guy. Some scholars will tell you that he might have gotten married later in life and had a, a family. But it's uncontested that Paul uh, actually was single when he wrote this letter. And he wrote this letter to a church in the city of Corinth. And Corinth was a hot bed of sexual mischief and impropriety. I mean, you cannot read this book and not get a little hot and think, oh, Lord, woo what is happening in this city? You know, it's, it's just crazy. And so Paul is writing to these people. He's telling them all this stuff they should be, like, avoiding. And his words are so piercing, but yet so encouraging to our conversation around being single. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 7. Listen to these words, starting in verse 32. Paul says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affair, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affair, affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, this is a really important uh, verses that we just read. But one thing that stuck out to me was actually the first line that we read. I would like you to be free from concern, it says. Free from concern. And when you read this, you must ask yourself, well, what is there to be concerned about? Because when we hear concern and somebody says they have a concern for us, we get all defensive, don't we? What are you talking about? You don't be concerned about me. I'm fine. I am totally fine. You, you, you worry about you. Don't be concerned about me. Because we see concern as a sign of weakness. That if we're concerned, then there's something that's not right in our life. But let me just ask you. If the car mechanic says he's concerned about your brakes, you don't ignore the mechanic, do you? You get your brakes fixed. If the doctor says, I've I, I got to tell you, I've got some real concerns about your heart, 
You don't ignore the tests and call the guy a quack or say, you know what, I'm the exception to your rule. I'm just going to be fine. No, you do whatever it takes in order to fix your heart. That's what you do. If your child's teacher uh, calls you up and says, you know, I've got some concerns about your child's behavior, you don't blame the teacher. Let me say it again. You don't blame the teacher. Any teachers here, give me an amen at all, right? Ain't my fault your kid's all jacked up, right? Hey, you take care of your own business, right? You work with your child if there are concerns. So when Paul says, hey, I want you to be free from concern, what this means is that there must have been something he was concerned about that they weren't free from, that he wanted them to be free from. And whether we want to admit it or not, the exact same thing that Paul was concerned about here is the same thing that singles are concerned about and we all are concerned about. And he was concerned about identity. He was concerned about identity. Remember, he was saying, I don't want you to be divided. I don't want you to have any division in what you're thinking. Because we all struggle on this idea on some level in our world. And we don't even have to believe in God to know that this is true. If you're here today and you have no connection to God, you don't believe in Jesus at all, you still have these inner identity struggles that happen. Tell me this isn't true, that you struggle with with, with where you're at in your job. Who are you in your job? You, you, You have concerns about making enough money so that people will think you're successful. You have concerns about whether being a stay at home mom or being a stay at home dad is going to be enough for you. Don't you struggle and have concerns that you, that you want people to know you more than anything, that you'll do anything you can so that somebody will know who you are? And then if you're a believer in God, on top of that, you have other concerns. Because you have these concerns that you know what God tells you on how you're supposed to live your life, and then you look at how you're living your life and you have concerns. You know that God tells you, you should be an example to your kids of what a godly family looks like. But you know that you're living together before you're married and you're concerned about what that's telling your kids. You you, you know that you're supposed to honor him with with the very best of your time, your talent, and your resources. But you are in debt to your eyeballs, you're paycheck to paycheck, and you cut God out of the equation every month. And you're concerned about this conflict inside you. We have these concerns and they bubble up in our lives all the time. And then, if you're single, your concern about identity even rages even louder. Because not only are you fighting the inner desires of your heart, but then you're also having to fight the concern and the comments of other people. Isn't it true that people feel like they have the right to touch your life as a single person, much like a pregnant lady in public? You know, like, oh, let me touch your belly. Get your hands off my belly, right? That's none of your business. And as a single person, you're saying, get your hands off my life. Get your hands off my life. You don't have any right. Because everyone seems to have an opinion on why you should be concerned, on why you're not in a relationship, and why you're not married. And I'm going to set you up with my cousin, you know, Louis IV. You know, whatever. I'm going to set you up with him because he's really good. You know, he doesn't have a job, but you definitely want to date Louis. You know, everybody's got concerns. Because we all, this is what we need. We don't need pity. We need identity. We need to know who we are, and we need to know who we are in Christ more than anything else. Anything short of that falls short of what God designed for us, anything of that. Because if you put anything ahead of God in your life, that's called an idol. 
You see, very simply, an idol is what we put in place of God. And that could be good things. It could be dating. It could be marriage. It could be family. It could be kids. But we place them in a position they were never meant to be. I'll I'll say it this way. that The danger in the single life is becoming so fixated on the pursuit of love that we lose sight of our first love in Jesus. That's the danger. Because the truth is that we could reach our goal of being in a relationship, getting married, having a family, and we could still be miserable. As one of the people that in that cohort that I talked with, they said it so well. They said, I'd rather be single and alone than married and alone. It's so, so good. And, and let me risk just being super straightforward for a second here today. Just super straightforward. If you want to cause yourself a lot of pain and make sure that you are more alone than you've ever been, then let me just tell you, start dating someone just so you can be in a relationship. If you want that to happen, then get remarried really quickly after you get divorced so that you're not alone. Move in together before you get married just so you can test your compatibility. I'm I'm here today to tell you, and I've seen it firsthand, by doing that, you can all but assure yourself avoiding your identity with God. Because in order for those things to happen, you have to claim that other things are more important. That you must be consumed with what other people think. And you can lie to yourself, but that's the reality. What Paul tells us here in 2 Corinthians 6.14, he says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Paul's just saying, don't rush into something, anything, just because. Don't yoke yourself with just anything so that you're just in a relationship. Just be patient. Be faithful. Trust God's plan. Trust Jesus. We must all realize that our identity has to first be rooted in Jesus. Single, married, divorced, widowed, whatever in between, we need to, we need to be identified as followers of Jesus. We have to have our priorities in the right order. And I believe in what I'm about to tell you with all of my guts. Like everything I believe in, I, I believe that what I call the pyramid of priorities is the most important thing that we need to consider in our life. This is the priorities in which you live your life. And I believe they're broken into four categories. And the top of the pyramid is this, is God. That God is saying, I want to be the first thing in your life. I want to be the most important, most important priority in your entire life. That nothing gets before me. I want me alone to be at the top of your pyramid. You and me. God says, I want my first relationship to be me. The second one, though, is our spouse. Our spouse. And I know if you're in here and you're dating or you're engaged, you're a newlywed, you're kind of looking at each other and like, don't listen to him, sweetie. You're my number one. You know, <laughs> you'll always be my little schnookums. You know, like that's what you're saying. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Hang tight, okay? But the third one is this, is our kids. And this is where people start to lose their mind because they start to say, well, no, 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 no. You don't know my, my little junior. You, you, don't, you, don't know, you don't know my little, my little bing bong over there, my little, my little schnooky pants. Like, you don't know how important they are. They can't be number three. They're my, right? Okay, we'll get there. 
And, and then this last one, this last one we call everything else. So it's God's spouse, kids, and everything else. And in the everything else bucket, that is your job, that's your hobbies, uh, that if you dress up like Star Wars characters and stuff like that, that goes in there, you know, like that's, that's everything else, you know. But this is our true pyramid of priorities, God's spouse, kids, and everything else. But when you start to get these out of order, this is where your life starts to crumble. So for instance, if your spouse all of, a, all of a sudden becomes your number one and goes above God, this is where you take your spouse and you elevate her or him onto a position that was meant for God. And you place your God-sized weight into them and you expect them to do what only God can do. And that's why when your spouse fails you, whether they leave you, whether they can't satisfy all your needs, whether they don't take care of you the way that you think that they should, that's when you feel all the breath come out of your lungs and you're like, well, now who am I? What happened? It's because you had your spouse be your number one and she or he should be your number two. So your spouse has always been designed to be your number two. You must keep that in the right order. Now, you're wondering, well, what about our kids? Oh, well, this is where, this is where Bing Bong and Junior and all of that kind of stuff, you're like, no, 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 we've got we've to put everything that we have into our kids. And so you put all your money into them, and you think they're going to go to the NBA, but they're going to be 4'10". They can't even walk without falling over, but they're going to go, baby. They're going to make it there, you know? And, or, or you put all your weight into them. And so what you do is that you elevate them to that position where God is supposed to be, you put God's size weight into them, and then you see one of two things happen, or both of them. One is that you've set your kids up for failure, and they can't live up to what you're asking them to do. And the second thing that will happen is that eventually your kids are going to do what kids do. They're going to grow up. They're going to go to college. They're going to get married. They're going to have bing-bongs on their own. Like, all this stuff is going to happen, and they're going to drive away in the SUV that you bought for them, and you're going to wave at them as they leave. And then you're going to get back in your house, sit down in your chair, look across the room, and you're going to say, who are you? Right? Because you haven't seen your spouse in the past 18 years because your entire life has been placed into your kids. And this is when all of a sudden you don't know who you are anymore. What, what happened? It's because you put your kids in the place of God, your priorities were out of whack. How about this last one here? Oh, goodness. Everything else? This is the good one. Because this is where we think that our job needs to be really high up there. Because what we say, and we justify this to ourselves, well, my, my job's got to be there because I have to provide for my kids. I've got to provide for my family. I've got to provide for my spouse. So my job needs to be higher up there. But can I just be really blunt and honest with you? Your job could care less about you. It could care less about you. How do I know this? Because you and I both think, somehow in our brains, that, and some of you haven't thought this, if I left, that place would shut down. They could not survive without me. Can I just pop your idealistic bubble for a second? You leave that job, fired, your own real, you're against your will, they're going to hire your position the next day. They don't, they're not going to build a bronze statue. They're going to have an outdated Costco cake for you. That's all they're going to do. That's it. Because your job is a machine. It's about making money. That's all it's there to do. It's not there to care about you. So when you put it above God and you get fired, that's when you're like, well, gosh, who am I now? 
Everything I had was put into my job. What am I supposed to do now? It's because your priorities were all out of whack. But you're probably saying, what in the world does this have to do with single people? Because they don't have a spouse, they don't have a kid, so what are they supposed to do? Great question. Chill out. Let me answer it for you, okay? If you are single today, what you have going for you is that you don't have all this other stuff to have to worry about right now, and you can focus on God completely. Right? Paul would say you you don't have to be divided. You have an undivided heart. And I'm telling you right now, do you want to know the most attractive, the sexiest thing you could possibly do for somebody is you could have the strongest relationship with Jesus ever. And you could have your identity found in him. And then if so, by God's grace, he provides somebody else that has a strong relationship with Jesus and their identity is in him. Then you get together and you're stronger together. You have a unified direction that you're going in and you don't have them. They don't need to be something that they're not because God is already what he needs to be. And so you have already set yourself up for success. But it starts with having your priorities right You must have God first, and then everything else after that. You must, you must, because here's the reality. Being single is not a condition to be cured, but an opportunity to be embraced, to be embraced by that. Paul says so much in 1 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 36. He says, if anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he's engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. Woo! You never read that verse before, did you? Right? He just says that if you don't get married, you're actually doing better. He says you're doing better. And here's the thing. I I once heard singleness compared to a fly on a screen door, um, that those that are in want out, and those that are out want in. Okay? Right? You'll get it. You'll get it. It's okay. Yeah? Paul's saying, listen, hey, just check it out. Marriage is complex. It is hard. You will be divided. I am married. I get it. I totally understand it. Add kids into the mix, it starts to get even more divided. So he's saying, be careful. Be careful when you get in that type of relationship, which is why he is saying, if I had it my way, y'all would be single. Y'all would be single because it's that much easier to focus on God. And and in fact, being single might even be the the better thing to do. That's amazing to think about. Now now listen up for a second here. If you're married today, this is not a get out of marriage free card, okay? (laughs) Like, I don't want you going home and being like, all right, hey, we need to sit down. Um, (laughs) Pastor B gave me a verse. Um, Looks like we're better off single, so just going to, right... I will, I, will, I will smack the sunshine right out of you if I ever hear you saying that, you know? It's not what that is talking about. You've got a relationship. You work at it. But Paul is saying, guys, listen, 
I could see a whole lot of benefits to being single. And the greatest reason is that it gives you a singular focus of identity. And, and it, this is where you get the greatest amount of strength. That in our singleness, we are able to keep our priorities in a better order. Because there's less to manage. There's less to get in the way of God. But guys, no matter what season of life you're in, single, married, divorce, dating, whatever, we all, we all wrestle with identity. Who are we? Who does God say that we are? And I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. He says these words, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them, just as God has called them. That is so important. He says each person, so it's individual. He says, he, he says that in, in, in whatever situation, he says each person, in whatever situation that they're in, what should they do? They should live as a believer. That you don't put your, your, your faith and what you believe on, on the side so that you can entertain yourself in this arena and just do what you want. He's saying, no, whatever situation that God has placed you in, live as a believer. So if you are single, live as a believer. If you are married, live as a believer and lead your marriage well. If you are, if you are married with kids and you, in that situation, you need to lead your family well. If you are a leader of a, a, of a school or a leader of a business, then you need, with that situation, live as a believer. If you're a police officer, live as a believer. If you're whatever it is, live as a believer. There is no place that you can put God over here and put yourself over here because you need to understand your identity in Jesus goes wherever you're at. Live as a believer no matter where you're at. This is so great for words for all of us. Live as a believer in whatever situation God has assigned you. Has assigned you. I, I think to understand this fully, though, I, I need to give a little Toy Story theology. Okay? A little Toy Story theology. Anybody Toy Story fans here? Anybody? Right? Online, you love it. Okay? Right? Uh, so you, you, we, got, we, got, we got Buzz. We got the dinosaur dude. We got, um, we got Woody. And, and, and the deal with Toy Story is that the, you know when you arrive, when, when you, get your, you, you get Andy on the bottom of your feet. You know, you, you want to have Andy. You might, maybe, maybe Danny, but probably Andy on the bottom of your feet, right? Because that way you know, you, you know that, that you're Andy's toy, that, that he has actually said, you're, you're one of mine. And that I, 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 I place my name on you because, you know what, I... I see value in you. I love you. And so you know that you, you, when you have Andy on the bottom of your boot, um, Woody knew that, that, that Andy loved him. It's what defined him, right? And so my question for, for really for us all today is, is, is what's, what's written on the bottom of the boot of your life? Like what, what defines you? Where is your, where's your identity in? Is your identity, does it say on the bottom of your boot, future spouse? Does it say husband? Does it say wife? Does it say daddy? Does it say successful? Or, or known? Or popular? 
What, what does it say on the bottom of your boot? Because what's on the bottom of the boot of your life is what defines you. I'll actually say it this way, that the reality is, is that however, what your identity tells you who you are and whose you are. Your identity tells you who you are and whose you are. What's on the bottom of your boot and on the bottom of the boot of your life says exactly who you are. Because it's what defines you. And so, so my prayer and my hope more than anything else is that we stop allowing the world to define us of what we need to be and what we need to do and what we need to have. And instead of having all of that stuff define who we are, that on the bottom of our boot, we would simply have Jesus. That it would be Jesus that defines who we are, that this is our identity. That we say, Jesus, you are the one that I care about the most. Jesus, you are the one that I care, thinks the most about me. Jesus, you are the one who how I define my life. Jesus, you are the one that our identity will be found in him, in him alone. Because I'm just here today to tell you that if you try to have your identity in anything other than him, you will always feel lost. You always feel like you need to erase it and put something else on there. Your priorities will always be out of whack. If you really think that a relationship is going to solve that, you're just messing with yourself. You're lying to yourself. If you think a job or a spouse, all those things, it's only Jesus. It's only when we put our hope and our faith and our trust in him and let him ride on the bottom of our soul that we actually start to live. And so I just hope for you today that you can find your identity in Jesus. That who he says you are is what is most important. And as you do that, you'll understand that your identity tells you who you are. But more importantly, whose you are. Let's pray. Mighty God, I just, I love you so much. And I love the fact that you have said that we are more than just what this world says that you tell us and call us to something greater than all of that, that you, Lord Jesus, you have given your life up so that we could have a totally new life, a totally new name, and that on the, the bottom of the soul of our soul would be your name, Jesus, that through you we would be found complete. And so, God, I just pray that as we sing the words of these songs, as we think about what this means, that we would realize that what you say is more important than anything else. And that we wouldn't fall into the peer pressure of this world or collapse under its weight, that we would lean into your strength and know that who you tell us is the most important thing. What you say that we are is the most important thing. Write your name on the bottom of our soul, Jesus. We love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you've discovered Jesus and this ministry has helped you follow him fully, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give through our Crossroads app or at crossroadsgrace.org give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Now go and follow him fully.